Welcome to Backstage with Becca Beat with special guest, Zach Spound. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Backstage with Becca Beat. On this episode, you might know his name because he music directed Cruel Intentions Musical, but did you know he's multi-talented? Not only is he a composer and music director, but he's also done acting. Please welcome Zach Spound. How have you been, first of all? Fantastic. As, <laughs> as fantastic as I can be. Um, you know, there, uh, it's a lot of, uh, I'm working really hard right now on a lot of different things, um, just trying to stay active and stay busy, uh, both, you know, civically and artistically. Um, how are you? How's quarantine going for you? It's going. It's going. It's not ending, apparently, <laughs> but it's going. <laughs> one day. You know? Yeah. yeah, one day. Yeah, well, thanks for, um, just thanks for having me on. I'm really excited oh, to talk with you, and uh, it's just so, this is a great thing you're doing. It's, it's, it's really I, great. I love it, and I'm so glad that you could come on, because, like, honestly, gonna be honest, I think Cruel Intentions musical had a huge part in me loving LA theater so much to this day. I think it was that and for the record. So it was, it was very special yeah. uh, to me uh, personally. And, and it also, it, it changed a lot of lives um, and careers. Um, you know, you've seen where a lot of these people went after that show. Um, uh and it, it was kind of like lightning in a bottle in a lot of ways because it was really just a true collaboration of a whole bunch of people doing what they do at their absolute best uh, for two months. And everybody understood their role, uh, did an extremely good job of it um, at a very high level. And I think that's what kind of was the catapult to New York was that, you know, it was very creatively, at least for me, I, I, I can I, copy that. I can only speak for myself and my experiences with the show. There are many people that went through that machine in the show and many people that came out on the other side. And so speaking for myself, uh, creatively, it was a very open environment where I was allowed to do my job and what I do well without hawkish monitoring, which comes in so many situations than other times. You know, I, I received a lot of trust from the creators, from Jordan and from Lindsay throughout the entire process to just do my thing. Um, the tweaks that were made were, there was nothing that we disagreed on that we couldn't compromise on. And uh, I think it was, it was just a very special experience for me and I'm, I'm very just grateful for it in, in a lot of ways and for many reasons as well. Yeah, and I'm gonna get more into that later. Yeah, yeah. But my first question is: Have you always like? Have you always loved and had an appreciation for live theater? Yes. And oh, yeah. <laughs> my my parents were actors. Uh, there was no choice okay. for me. Respect. I I grew up with uh, artists. It's it's it runs in my family through my grandfather even. Um, you know, my parents met on the set of a TV show. Um. I'm a musician actor. My brother's a musician. Uh, my third brother is a software engineer. It makes no sense to <laughs> um, but, um, Are you really related to us? 
Yeah, um, but uh, you know, his brain is a lot like ours. It's wired a lot like ours. He's 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 very numbers to him is the same thing that music is to me. It's just a different language and yeah. it's a different means of understanding the world through um, symbols and notes. It's all it's all math, really. It is music is math essentially. It's just a more left brain way of understanding it. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up seeing plays. I grew up watching movies, the classics. Uh, I grew up with musical theater actively as a part of my life. So there was, you know, when the time came for me to be start doing plays, which was like fifth grade or something, that's just, well, it's not just what I wanted to do. It's, well, I guess the one thing there is to do uh, in this family. And I'm just lucky that I love it. And it's what I want to do. And I was going to say, because you've you wear like so many hats, so to speak, because you've done yeah. acting, composing, um, music arrangement, yeah. etc. Have you always done that, or did you just start off as an actor on stage? No, I started off as an actor. Most <clears throat> most people start start uh, from my experience have started off as an actor and branched into other things. Um, I uh, <clears throat> you know it's funny. I was always love playing music and making music and um it really honestly came out of my stumbling into music directing came out of financial necessity actually i uh, i my one goal was to be an actor writer um that's what i wanted to do when i lived in la when i came back from college i made short films i i was in other friends short films i was auditioning for tv i was doing that whole thing and and i i had also written songs but i wasn't actively trying to be a composer at that point i was completely just in acting and that's it. And <clears throat> the story is that I started accompanying events um, at the Rockwell, because I could play piano. I did it for, it was just yeah. for money. It's not what I wanted to be doing. I, I did um, Jagged Little Pill at the Rockwell, uh, for the album project, uh, I think it was six years ago at this point, August. And that's where I met the people at Rockwell that introduced me to Jordan and Lindsay. Yeah. And I was originally the piano player for Cruel Intentions. And um, some things got shuffled around and they actively wanted me to music direct it, which I had actually never done before. I had never music directed, wow. anything. I had never arranged anything, I had never orchestrated anything. That was new to me. And I just, they're just like, can you do it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there was pay. But um, I, it's one of the things that I've learned through the process is that you learn best by just doing it. I didn't care that I didn't have any formal training in it. I, I just took the knowledge that I had from acting training and applied that to orchestrating and applied that to arranging because when you come down to it, it's all character. Yeah. Uh, everything is character. Uh, you know, notes, what instrument plays what. Even if you're doing a jukebox musical, it's the same set of ideas, you know, understanding of drama. And because I was rooted in that, you know, not just from an early age, but I was also a theater major at Northwestern, I was able to apply that musically and it turned into what it became. Um, and that's how I learned to do it, was just by doing it for the Rockwell production of Cruel Intentions. And then with each production that we did going to New York, I would just take it one step further. Uh, further. Um, the first production was band charts. The second production had slightly more complicated band charts. The off-Broadway workshop had complete instrumentation and arrangements. And 
every time I would just insert new things and I had the time to make it more and more deep and more and more complex and insert little homages to musical theater here and there that, you know, some people caught, which made me very happy. Um, and uh, that turned into the cast recording, which is one of the things I'm more proud of than anything I've ever done. Are those a little uh, homages secrets or can you say what they are? Oh, uh, not at all. Um, uh, they're not even secret. They're just so blunt, obviously blunt. Um, the end of Act One, the Act One finale, is One Day More from Les Mis. Structurally based on One Day More, like section by section, you yeah. have the um, the reprise of Love Fool by Sebastian Internet. That's Marius and Cosette. I haven't lived until today. Um, Eponine comes in at the same time that uh, the Jaded Lover, similarly. Um, Greg comes in, I know that I can, that's one more day on my, it just keeps going until at the end, you get Mrs. Coldwell as the Thenardiers, which yeah. the supervillain of each production. And then they all sing a, a quintet, um, a sextet in the case of Cruel Intentions because it's six. Um, Catherine's turn, which was added for the New York production is similarly Rose's turn from Gypsy. Um, as it is a moment in which both characters finally come face to face with all of the damage that they've wrought through the entire story and their entire narrative. And they just go, oh my God, what have I done? Who am I? Why did I do these things? The difference is that in Gypsy, the protagonist, Mama Rose, reconciles with her daughter. Uh, in Cruel Intentions, uh, Catherine basically just goes, no good deed will I do again, and leads the deaths that will causes the, death, the, the, the events that would lead to Sebastian's death. Um, but you need that moment of reflection to complete the journey, to close the book on Catherine's story, similar to the way Mama Rose closed the book on her story with that show-stopping 11 o'clock number, Rose's turn. So it's, it's what I do is I, I really mine these moments that contribute to the musical theater canon. Uh, and, you know, it's really important to have, a, you know, a foot in the past as you do have a foot in the present. Yeah. What has worked for this art form and what can I draw to make this story work in this particular medium? Wow. I see. I, did, I should have picked up on that as I'm a super lame Miss fan. But <laughs> well, I mean, technically, no worries, because that was even based on the Tonight Quintet from West Side Story. You know, that's okay. at the end of, towards the end of Act One, before the rumble. It's, it's, it serves the same purpose. Yeah. And you, everything's influenced by something else. You know, even though I chose to uh, base it on something specific, that in turn was uh, an amalgamation of so many other things that came before it. And that's the beauty of art is it's just, you know, respect and tribute to, you know, what came before and looking at what works and looking at how you can alter it to serve your story. And it probably helps that you going into uh, in, into that, it probably helped that you had acting experience and writing experience because yeah. you kind of got to combine the two. Yeah. And exactly. think like the characters it, while at the same time, essentially like writing the character stories through song. And, and because it's musical theater, on that note, you know, music has to be the engine that drives the show. Music, you know, whether it's a song or a moment of underscoring, uh, you can have silence. I'm not saying there has to be music present through the entire work, but the silent moments of silence have to be earned. Why is there no music here? Um, one of my favorite examples of that is in, in Hamilton. You know, Hamilton's final, Hamilton's final soliloquy before he is killed by Burr is 
the only point in the show in which there is no music. And Lynn said, it's because, you know, after, as music has driven this entire, this man's life, as he's about to die, all that is left are the words, are his words that would affect an entire nation and would develop and create an entire nation. Um, in Cruel Intentions, music is present almost the entire time. Um, and because it also, not just even a story thing, stylistically, you have to attune your audience's ear to the kind of world that they're gonna be in, which is a musical world. That's what makes you know musical theater different from dr drama or from film. It's, it's, it's every musical has to have music as the engine, no matter what you're singing, what kind of music you're singing or what the story's even about. It's gotta be there and it's gotta drive it home through the end. Yes, that's, Good point. And um, I have a question that was later on my list, but I think yeah. it kind of ties into this. Who inspires you, whether it's in acting, music, music uh, directing, or composing? Um, you know, I, I have that list is always in my head and it keeps changing. Um, but uh, you know, due to, due to recent events, I wanna, um, I wanna bring up Chadwick Boseman for a second. I'm, I'm still reeling from his, his loss a little bit. And I, I, I'll admit, I didn't know too much about his, his life um, before he passed a few days ago. But um, he is one of those trajectories. You know, I was talking earlier about how a lot of people become, start off as actors and they just wanna be actors like me and they branch off to do all these other things. He had this miraculous sort of reversal of that where he actually was rooted in theater, but he, as well as acting, really was uh, doing writing and directing. Um, that was, he did the British American Drama Academy. He uh, was directing off Broadway. And before he got 42, the film in which he played Jackie Robinson, he was considering quitting acting. And somehow, uh, by sheer talent, uh, he got that part. And um, it's, it's a really, he's a really inspirational figure to me now that we know more about how, not just about how he got there, but how he lived his final years where he, uh, he lived with colon cancer and is able to do some of the most physically and emotionally demanding work that you can do on screen. And uh, even in that note that the Black Panther director, Ryan Coogler wrote about him, not even the director knew about it. Not even the director knew he was going through chemo and he was going through surgery and that, that I think is the greatest gift that, that an artist can give is, is their life as performance or their life as art. And he, and he gave uh, every last bit of himself and before he passed. And it's, it's just a tremendously moving thing what, what he did. Um, and so in terms of people that inspire me right now, you know, number one, Chadwick Boseman. Um, the fact he did it, yeah, the fact he, he was that, like, he was that selfless and didn't tell anyone and just, like, I guess he didn't want people to treat him differently or give him, like, special, uh, like, put him under special circumstances because he was going through a struggle like that and wanted to be treated as he always had been. It's just strength, and um, you know, it's 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 a very difficult time for everybody right now for so many so many reasons, so many crises happening at the same time, and and that's that's the kind of strength that I think you know we all have the capacity to. God, I'm sounding like a freaking Facebook meme right now. You know, the strength. Oh, I love it. It's better than a Facebook <laughs> meme. Um, to reach inside and 
figure out how the hell we're gonna get through this. Um, but uh, that, that to me is inspirational. That's strength and that's art. Um, and uh, maybe a little more related to music, I guess. If, I think that's you know, what you're going for uh, initially. Uh, I grew up with a lot of different kinds of music. Um, people that were very important to me early on were Stephen Sondheim, uh, as he is for many musical theater composers. I, I think he's just one of the greatest writers of all time, lyricist, screenwriting lyrics, I didn't even just, the things that, that he wrote are just a very rare window into the human condition. Hilarious, heartbreaking, poignant, um, and just so good at character. I talk a lot about character and I think that he is able to create, he's created hundreds of very distinct, very different, and most importantly, empathetic characters, no matter how crappy they are to other people, there's always a way to empathize with them and, and through song. And that's why I think song and music is so powerful in the end. Um, God, uh, the Beatles, huge to me. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Prince is my God. Uh, nobody, nobody can play guitar, sing, dance, write, produce, arrange, act quite like Prince. And the thing about him is that he does all those things at a higher level than almost anybody. Uh, it, he almost had a, an impossible career, how he was so consistent on all of those things and produced at a constant level until he passed. Um, and I, I, when I look at Prince, I kind of see the kind of mold that I want my career to fit into. I'm not saying that I can be Prince. I'm not comparing myself to Prince. I'm saying the what's inspiring to me about Prince is his ability to not put himself in a box yes, and do whatever he felt like he could be better at and improved at those things until nobody was better. Um, you know, the Syracuse live at 85. I don't know if that's on YouTube anymore, but I think that's ultimate proof. I think that, oh. that, yeah. We'll, we'll go see if that's on YouTube after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's <your> homework. <laughs> homework. And speaking of speaking of homework, I was gonna ask you about uh, your education experience because you mentioned where you went to school, and uh, how was your education experience there? And um, and did you take anything really valuable away from that experience? I'm so excited to answer this question. Um, I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. I don't like. Uh, asking about school. <laughs> so, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I, look, when I was at Northwestern, I was, as I said earlier, in that very narrow mindset of I'm just going to be this, I'm just going to be this. Yeah. Uh, and I have more regrets than you could know about not branching out and experimenting in other capacities of of stretching myself, you know, doing the things that I do now. I didn't offer to music direct anything, but I could have. I didn't offer to arrange or orchestrate anything, but I could have. Um, I just wanted people to see me as one thing because I thought at that time that that's what would get me known. Um, and there is something to be said for that, I think, in, in this industry, but in college, you're just experimenting. You're just stretching yourself and your brand learning about what you can do and what you want to do. And I, there were a lot of things that I did not take advantage of that I should have. And I ended up leaving Northwestern with a lot of regrets. And, uh, 
I still feel those. And I, I could be a lot further on had I not done more with my time there. Um, and again, we, we grow as people. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to, I'm not angry at, at my old self at all. I, I, I was a different person. I, I, I have nothing but empathy for all the other shit I was going through at the time. You know, I, uh, I, I'm just saying that uh, just looking back, I think for anybody that is lucky enough to be able to have an educational experience like that at a college or university or whatever, uh, what I would say is just, you know, don't waste your time. Just do everything that you can and everything that you want. You've got, you know, musicians just sitting there waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. You know, I could have written a freaking string quartet. What else are they going to do? It's college, you know? Go to Burger King at 11 p.m.? Just use a freaking yeah. string quartet. Let's do it. I should have done that. Um, but lesson learned, and I think that's one of the reasons why I do a lot of things now is because, you know, I realized that I missed that opportunity in an educational environment, and now I need to do what I need to do to have a career, make money, and also make art, which is all three of those things are the goal. Um, but also, if you had done anything differently in college, you never know how your trajectory would have changed by now. Like, yes. maybe uh, Cruel wouldn't have been a th as popular of a thing. Maybe I wouldn't have even been in Cruel Intentions. Maybe I would have yeah, been in New York I, initially. Um, exactly. So, it, I mean, things happen for a reason, I guess. You make life yeah. choices for a reason in the end. And yeah. it's like backtracking is like well I can wish that I did that differently but right right you know I, I brought it up just you know if anybody's watching this who is at that age you know yes. I, I think it's one of the most important things you can do is just constantly experiment push yourself um I uh, on the positive side I had a wonderful acting teacher Dawn Mora um who taught me everything I know about drama um and character and I learned a lot about myself by training with her and listening to her. It's, it's, you know, acting training is very close to therapy in that it is about living the truth in a given, the given circumstance of somebody else. Um, and I think when you, when you stretch empathy to a character, you're extending that to yourself because it's you just in a different circumstance. That's, that's the beauty of acting, I think. And, uh, but in that process, you deal with stuff you've never maybe dealt with before. And that is, that was a very big for me in terms of really learning how not just the craft of acting uh, and also just how to make drama in general, but also in getting more in touch with myself. And yeah. I'd recommend acting training to anybody, even if it's not what you want to do, if you want to write or direct or, you know, acting training is essential in the arts, I think, even if that's not what you want to do. It's even, if not for the craft, for you, I think. And, you, and you've done a lot of acting. Yeah. So it's probably helped you post-college in some of the shows you've done. Oh, yeah. Oh, Especially, yeah. Especially, you did a, a show that got a lot of good reviews recently, right before quarantine. Like, last was it last fall, or? What show? The, the other Josh Cohen one? The other Josh Cohen, yeah. Um, I was uh, the understudy. I was the male understudy in that production, and I understudied four tracks. It was the most insane, mind-boggling job I have ever had and may ever have. Um, it was wild doing this thing. Um, and uh, I, I did end up going on 
uh, five times. Um, wow. I, one of the roles was Josh Cohen, and I did get to do that for a weekend. And it was a great weekend. Uh, you know, my parents came out. They got a lot of people I knew to come see the show. And, um, you know, I, had, I was lucky in that I had been able to do enough rehearsals up until that point uh, to be able to feel confident in the part. But man, when you, when you hit that stage and it's a musical, so everything's just like a track. It's a it's musical comedy. It was so fast paced and choreographed and the timing is so important. And it's like you're trying to be in the moment, but you're also part of a nonstop machine, a musical comedy machine. And, uh, you know, the first night was just very disorienting. People say I did, I did good. I don't really know what happened is the thing. Like, I forgot. <laughs> well, I don't know if I was on stage. <laughs> it may have been a fever dream. This whole, this, up, everything up to now, quarantine, it may have just been a giant fever dream. I may wake up and do the second show tomorrow. But um, the second show went, went extremely well because I had settled in. I felt like I had settled more into it. Um, and, you know, doing a role is just constantly just settling more into the track and yourself inside of that and you know it was it was just a weekend I really was proud of and just wish I could have done it more um you know but that's the job that's that's the yeah. nature of the beast um that was my role and I was proud to serve that particular function for that show and I met a lot of really wonderful people who I'm still in touch with and it was it was a great experience and um yeah I, I hope it gets done more because it's a really good show it's got a lot of heart and um yeah yeah, I'd, I'd do it again in a heartbeat if I got asked. And what was the biggest challenge understudying uh, four different roles? Um, you know, the, one of them is the fact that I was trained to perform, but I wasn't getting to perform. It's, it's kind of a, logically I understand it, but it's emotionally a very confusing thing, no matter how much you can rationalize that. Um, like I, you know, we had all these understudy rehearsals that I was so glad that we got to do with the under understudy, later understudies. They added more as the run went along because it ran for six months, six, seven months. Um, and a long time for off Broadway commercial. That's yeah. a really good run. Um, it was really cool. I wish more people had even seen it. Um, back to what I was saying, um, like I would watch the show three to four times a week and I was training to do the show. So it became this weird push and pull of like, I want to be up there and it became really frustrating that I wasn't, even though I knew that wasn't my job. Um, so it, it was really part of my process was just to learn how to manage that. Um, it's hard to be trained to do something that you don't ultimately get to do except five times when they've done the show about 200. Um, so, you know, that was more of an internal thing. I never told anybody that I was just all smiles and let's go you know let's yeah. do it. let's let's rock it um and uh, the other thing is of course just learning the lines and learning the track and you know I I'm very lucky in that my brain is able to compartmentalize well and um that's the key is just learning this track and putting that in a box and putting it in another part of your brain here's the lead you put that in the box put it back and um I ended up going on for two out of the four parts um I got two months notice for the weekend that I did to play the lead, Josh Cohen. But the first That's time I went on, I got three hours notice. And uh, that was my baptism by fire into the world of the other Josh oh, Cohen. And uh, again, people said great job, but I was like, what happened? <laughs> do you, wait, do you remember that day at all or no? Yeah, no, I, uh, 
I, we had just been through uh, the matinee. It was a Saturday. Uh, it was the first matinee back from New Year's. Um, I didn't know anything was going to happen that night. I was, I was living in Sunnyside, Queens, and I was close enough to Manhattan, uh, the West Side Theater, 43rd night, that I could go home, make myself dinner instead of eating out, go back to the theater. I get home, and I'm starting to make dinner, and my stage manager texts me. She's like, yo, David's out. You're on. Get over here. I'm like, let's go. Um, crammed the dinner into my mouth. Uh, just so I had it and I just got back to the theater. I didn't want to rush. I wanted to be calm and collected. I think that was a really important thing. You know, my brain was freaking out, but I wanted to be as collected as I possibly could. I ran through some things with uh, my scene partner, the guy playing Josh Cohen and, uh, let her rip. <laughs> and, and then, and then had, then blacked out or something on stage. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also I was lucky again in that situation to have had an understudy run of that part with full tech before I had done that. Yes. Um, not every understudy gets that luxury. Uh, it had happened two months into the run, so I did get that luxury. Um, I think I, it's an experience I recommend that, that all actors have really. It's, 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 it's fun to do something that you want to do for so long. So when you get there, it's nerve wracking, but it's also really, really cathartic. I, Man, there was a moment when I played one of the parts where I was talking and I just remember I started crying. That character is not supposed to cry in that moment. Uh, it was just how you felt. He can, under, in another production, you know, maybe a director would say, okay, you can get a little weepy here, but I, I just started bawling. And the stage manager was like, yeah, so glad you went there. You shouldn't do that. And I was like, I know, I won't do that again. Um, but, you know, I just was very just present. And, you know, it, it struck me, the, the words struck me in a way that they hadn't before. And um, one of the things about understudying is that there's no time to think when you go on because you're in the machine. So you're naturally, by nature of what you're doing, you're in the moment. You can't overthink it. You're not allowed to overthink it if you're going on for a part for the first time. Um, and... Uh, it, 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 it's freeing. It's like the fact that you're put in a straitjacket is actually freeing. It's what I talk to when I talk about Shakespeare, I have a pentameter. You know, if you do the pentameter in Shakespeare with the punctuation exactly as Shakespeare wanted you to, you're constricted. But in that, if you can't breathe for two lines, you're going to go crazy and it frees you up to do, to get really freaking mad. It's the same thing. You know, if you're constricted a little bit, it is it puts you in that mind, mindset of like, there's nothing to do right now, but be in the moment. And uh, before I move on from acting, you've done a couple more, well, a lot more acting in your career. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah um, I'm gonna say from anytime college through now, what's been your favorite uh, show to be, be in on stage? Once. Um, I've done once, twice. And <laughs> yeah. But I'd love to do it a third time. Um, but uh, I... Uh, yeah, I've been anyone casting the next production? <laughs> yes. Um, I did one at South Coast Rep in 2017, which is probably the most special uh, play, experience, uh, theatrical experience I've ever been a part of. That cast is still very close. We, we're literally in a text group We've been in a text group since like 2017, like it's three years going at this point. Um, I met so many people who I know you know, um, Alex Nee, Amanda yeah. Jerry, um, God, Nick Majordo Cooper, Marnina Schoen, just 
not just great actors and musicians, but amazing people who I would take a bullet for. Um, I have never been in a show where I can say that about my castmates. Um, and also our music director was the original bank manager on Broadway, Andy Taylor. Um, and oh, everybody, awesome. yeah, and everybody was so good at what they did and just so kind. Um, that was a really special experience. And, and the things I learned from Andy Taylor, um, I used because I music directed the next production of Once I Was In. Uh, I played the same part. I played Schvetz uh, at the Cape Playhouse, um, Hunter Foster directed, and I also music directed it. And I don't know, it's just this thing where I was drawing a lot of what, what Andy Taylor gave us from his Broadway experience doing it in the original cast and just kind of using that. And, and I was not in the Broadway cast of the John Tiffany production and just um, using that to guide the music and the direction that it really ought to go in. You know, I'm very familiar with the show because I love it so much. I, I, I saw it on Broadway in 2013 and just cried for the last 10 minutes of the show and then sobbed for 30 minutes afterwards walking down the street. I was just like, I, it is the most romantic show. It's the most romantic music um, about, it's a show about love and community and how music brings people together. Yeah. And I remember seeing it and going, I need to be in this show one day. And um, I got to do it five years later and it was a dream come true. And it's even more of a, more, lucky that I got to do it again and also just kind of insert my own musical self into it a little bit. I, I was as true as possible to what it should sound like, but because it's an actor musician show, everyone's going to play it in their style of playing. You know, it's a rhythm show. It's a folk show. Everyone's going to play stuff differently. Everyone's trained to play stuff differently. And my job is to bring out what everyone did well to serve the music as, as well as we could. And in both productions, the sound was just great. Even if the theater was acoustically messed up a little bit, we, we, over, we overcome those obstacles. Yes. Those obstacles and put on some damn good shows, I think. I feel like Once is a little, is one of those shows that's like, I don't know, maybe it's not, but I feel like it's a little bit underrated. And oh, totally. more totally. productions going on. It's one of the best musicals I've ever seen. Um, the movie is brilliant too. I, I, it's one of those rare situations in which a, there's a musical adaptation of a successful film that is not a musical and the musical is almost every bit as good as the film. Um, and I think it's because it embraces its musical concept that has every actor playing an instrument for almost the entire show. A concert come theater. Uh, and that's what the entire story is about is is just people playing music and coming together because of it intimately through friendship uh and also the fact that the the two leads at the center want to connect but they can't just because of where they are in their life it's the only show romantic show i know of where the leads never kiss um and it's about just how it can be so right but sometimes just time the timing can absolutely not be suckier. And uh, just, just uh, you don't get what you want, but uh, maybe down the line, you'll find something just as good. Life it's lessons. A it's a beautiful, beautiful show, yeah. We love life, we love life lessons and shows. Um, and then before I get into Cruel Intentions more and the success that had, I know I'm kind of going in reverse order here, but, 
you've done some readings and workshops and you uh, wrote a uh, musical Leap. Yeah. Which I no, actually, actually, actually hear a song, at least one song from back in, I think, 2015, 2016, when you yeah. performed it, which yeah. was amazing. Can you talk about that process in writing it and like what uh, future plans are for that? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I'm actually finishing um, the latest draft of that this weekend, um, which I've been working Whoa. on for a couple of months. Uh, I'm, yeah, um, it was the first musical I ever wrote. Um, I actually wrote um, one of the parts, the, the, the female lead, uh, Julie, with Shelley Regner in mind. Um, I think she is just a top tier performer, um, drama, comedy, uh, actor, singer. I, 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 she's just so brilliant. Uh, and so good at what she does. And when I worked with her on Cool Intentions for the first time, I'm just kind of like, had this character in mind. And I thought of Shelly, I'm like, she's perfect for this part. Um, and as I kept writing it, I kept writing it with her in mind. With the male lead, I initially wrote it with me in mind. I don't know if that's the case anymore. That part's evolved a lot. But uh, the first draft was very long. It probably would be three hours. It's also a mess. The second draft was the workshop, and that was two and a half hours. Um, I, I still, it's one of those shows that I have not found satisfaction with. Um, I have, don't think that I've really found a way to make it work yet, just personally. Um, uh, I've worked on other shows that I, I feel a lot better about, but I just, I'm just, I don't know, I feel that I will find it eventually. I just have yeah. to keep hammering away at it. But I, just to be honest, I am struggling a bit with Leap on where it is, what it is to me, what it is to this time, why we're doing it, why I'm writing it. Um, again, a lot of that remains to be seen this weekend. I'm finishing at the end. Uh, I know what the ending is, I think. And um, I'll have a better idea once I'm able to look at the whole thing in a couple of weeks and see where I'm at with that. So yeah, Leap is a very in-progress thing for me. One of the cool things to come out of it is that Dinosaur, the song that yes. you saw me perform with Shelley in 2015, I submitted it as a one act for um, the Sound Bites One Act Festival in New York. And I was able to play that part with some other New York actors playing the other parts. And we ended up winning a couple awards. Um, wow. We won uh, Best Lyrics. And uh, we won the Audience Choice for Best Musical. Hey! So yeah. it, it can have it can have a future even if you even if you're doubting it right now a little bit it can have a future at least yeah um dinosaurs being published as a one act in uh in a one act musical publication that's coming out i think early next year um but as far as leap goes i'm still chugging away and hoping that um after i take a look at it i'll have an idea of what its function really is and you know what my why and what it can be um, yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear more about it in the future. Hopefully, there's there's another show that I'm that I'm writing that I I think is ready to go workshop wise. It's called In This Body. Um, what it is, it's an actor musician show in the vein of Once. And what it is, it's a about a guy and a girl, very similar to Once, and they meet. But the story is, and they go through this relationship, tumultuous relationship. They're both ex artists. He left music behind she left music behind and they meet at this law firm but the story of their relationship is told by four essential components of their anatomy and psyche um the heart which plays drums there are rock bands the heart plays drums 
The nervous system plays violin. The ego plays acoustic guitar, but he can only play Wonderwall. And the reproductive system plays electric guitar. And also the reproductive system is Prince, coming back to Prince, because I'm obsessed with Prince. Yes. So, they, uh, you switch off between his inner body and her inner body and what's going on with them. And the reason they're a rock band is because they both left music behind. But their bodies stay a band because their bodies remember what playing music used to feel like and they miss that. So the people have, you know, they've moved on, but their bodies have not forgotten it. You know, that always happens to people who, who leave art behind. Um, and it's about their journey together and just about the inner conflict that we all feel between thinking and feeling. You know, you have the brain. The brain is an omnipotent deity that we never see. Um, and the brain gives the organs their commands and it's their job to say yes, sir, and execute those commands. But then they start, the brain starts doing weird stuff when they fall in love with each other. And the body, in different ways, their bodies rebel against the brain. Um, but it's really about just confronting the darkness within all of us and the importance of just, you know, getting help if you need to, instead of, you know, fighting the things that we harbor up here. It's about embracing our problems and our darknesses. And that's the only way we can not just become closer to other people, but to ourselves as well. And that's a show that I want to workshop next year. Um, I'm doing orchestration for it. I'm ready. That's ready. To, that's ready to go. It's going to be real good. And I have to ask, because I feel like some people just like are under the impression sometimes if they're not super fans of musical theater, that like something gets written and bam, it's ready to be on stage. How long is that process normally for you? Um, writing. The writing process, uh, I mean, it just, it takes years regardless, just through writing and, and developing and workshops and getting to Off-Broadway or Broadway or whatever. Um, I've writ a leap took me about a year to write the first draft, maybe a year and a half. In this body I wrote in three months. Like that just flowed, it just felt really organic and it just flowed and I, it's one of those rare, it's where I just felt like I got struck by lightning. And I, a very specific instance in my life, uh, emotional crises directly had to do with me coming up with the idea for that show and writing it. So I felt very connected to it. So it really just depends on the situation. Um, I also just did the lyrics for a Hungarian musical about Nikola Tesla. Um, it's a contract job. I was flown out to Hungary oh. uh, to see the Hungarian premiere. Um, and then COVID happened. And that's where I probably got COVID in Europe because I had COVID-19. Did uh, you? Two weeks, yeah, two weeks after I came back from Europe where my stopover oh. was Italy. Um, and then, oh, yeah, uh, yeah you know, I got the antibody test. I definitely had it in New York. And um, uh, the show was going to go on a tour in Europe with my lyrics, but uh, that's been put on hold and fingers crossed they get to that next year. Wow. And yeah. how do you go about like distributing your work to people? Um, the ultimate goal, you want an agent to do it. You know, you have to have an agent to do anything. I really, really mean that. Um, people say, oh, you don't need it. You do need, you really need one actor, writer. You need someone to get you in the door with people that you can't just reach out on Facebook to, you know, you got to take the meetings and you got to do all that stuff. Um, I send, I, I was lucky to almost land an agent, but then COVID-19 happened. Um, and, um, yeah, timing was, could not have been worse. Yeah. Hopefully it's a partnership that is able to happen once things start 
everything back to normal next year, fingers crossed. But um, yeah, I, I, in terms of sending my stuff to people, I always send to friends that I trust for feedback. If I want someone to sing on a demo, I'll send them the show. I mean, what do you think of the part? What do you think of the show? Is this something you'd want to do? I don't want to just presume people like just want to sing, you know, because a lot of people want to know what the role is. What are they signing up for? I want to be as transparent as possible about what this work is. Because as an actor, I get that. I don't just want to, you know, go after a role because it's a role. Like, is this the kind of role that I want to play? Yes. Is this who I am? Is this the kind of work that I want to be doing? Is this who I want to represent myself as an artist as? So I always, you know, send people as much as I can and if they want to do it, great. Um, I have collaborators. Um, there's a wonderful uh, director um, who directed the tour of Cruel Intentions, Kenneth Farone, who was a producer as well in LA. He worked on Smash and Rent Live and Grease Live. Um, fabulous director. He was uh, Tina Landau's assistant on the SpongeBob musical. Oh. And I've been talking with him a lot in developing in this body and he's um, been a great mentor and a great uh, collaborator in everything that we've done. Um, and yeah, I, I am very open about my work. I want it to be an open process and I, uh, the write it while I'm writing it, I'm very private about it. But once it's, there's yeah. a draft, I want it to get out there in some form. Yeah. Also, of course, doing cabaret nights in New York. That's one of the great things about when I was living in New York. I could, you know, go to these things and just play my music and just see what, how people react uh, to me, to the songs, and just kind of just vibe with people and meet people and just see what's out there. Um, yeah. Yeah, three days before a theater shut down, I did one of those with some other writers. I was doing a songwriter's night at the West End Lounge. I don't know if you know where that is. It's on Amsterdam and West End Upper West Side. Um, and it was like the last great moment of art that I had before everything went down. Um, I just want to go back to that day. What? You're like, I just want to go back to that day. It was a great night. Um, everyone was in top, top form. Um, there was a great writer, uh, Taylor Perlstein, who was in The Cruel Intentions yeah. for the Catherine. She's brilliant, brilliant actor, a brilliant writer. Alex Golden, who's a great writer, composer in New York. Um, yeah. Um, I do a lot of stuff like that and just, I, I want to see how people react and if yeah. they like it, if they want to just be on my team, you know? I mean, so much of this is just about team building and just getting people on your side to vouch for you. If, if you know, the producers don't come through, the agents don't come through, you know, you want friends, you know, and collaborators. And I'm lucky that I have a couple good ones. People who can recommend you to yeah. others that you might not know yet. Yeah, exactly. So and then, oh, yeah. no, continue. No, it's just a complicated process, as I was going to say. It's different every time you write something. Um, it's just where you are and where the piece is. And um, hopefully the stars align. That's another thing. It's just, yeah. you know, everything being in the right place at the right time. And, um, and also just being really good at what you do and surrounding yourself with people that are good at what they do. Um, and also... Uh, making sure that everyone knows what they're doing. Um, like when I collaborate with somebody, I'm also like, here's what I do, here's what I want you to do. Here's where we can kind of lean in each other's areas that we do. Um, just so no one's overstepping their bounds. I think it's really important to dictate in collaboration what exactly it is that everybody does uh, to make sure that everybody's working efficiently and at their best capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, getting into Cruel Intentions musical again. Yeah. Uh, 
that show, everyone I've talked to never expected it to go as far as it did. I don't think when it started and when it had like, oh, what, like two show, three show week and what run. Uh, what do you think made the show as uh, well received as it yeah, was? Yeah, uh, as I said earlier, lightning in a bottle. And that's always because multiple factors, as I just said, at the right time are meeting in just the superstorm of wealth and good fortune and success and talent. Um, the performances, for one. Uh, at Rockwell, we had some unbelievable people doing unbelievable work on stage. Um, Molly McCook, uh, in particular, was really wonderful. Isn't that Shelley Regner and Emma Hunton, both as Cecile, both brilliant. Um, God, uh, Constantine, you know, our rock, you know, he took, a, he, he, was, he was with us off Broadway as well. He was brilliant. Um, and everybody was game uh, to learn the fun stuff that I did to the songs. Everybody was game to have some fun with it, even though it was a Rockwell. They, Rockwell was not equity at the time. And everybody was still game to just go a little bit over time and just push further than yeah. they thought they could or thought they maybe even wanted to. Um, and uh, I was lucky in that they were willing to do that and just do some super cool stuff. Uh, like the quintet at the end of act one, like uh, a lot of the duets that happened, a lot of the, you know, moments of underscoring and that Lindsay and Jordan were very open to and understood why that needed to happen. Also, Lindsay and Jordan in particular are a reason that it happened because they are both very good about making sure the right people came to those shows. Yes. Um, networking is everything in every industry. Jordan was great about uh, reaching out to Roger Cumble. Lindsay was great about reaching out to her people to come into the show. Uh, they both are so well-networked. They were well-networked already yeah. by the time they came here uh, that we started Cruel Intentions. And that's, that's luck, is that they both were, are great at that. And um, as creators, they were very good collaborators. And again, letting me do my thing uh, uh, and letting them me give some suggestions and be like, hey, maybe this needs to happen here or this might need some underscoring or actually I would tie these parts together rather than these parts together. And there was trust. And again, that doesn't happen in every environment. And again, I'm only speaking for myself here in my capacity. There, for me, there was trust. And I really appreciated that and I respected that. And it's why I want to continue to work with them. And I do continue to work with them. I'm working on some with Jordan Ross right now. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Cruel was, Cruel was a very, um, and again, having Entertainment Weekly come out on the night that Reese Witherspoon and Sarah Michelle Gellar were there, come on. Like, you yeah. know, being, getting that exposure is what led our New York producer, Eva Price, to go, oh, they're for real. You know, once you have that press, that's what gets you access. You know, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's true. It's, you know, not just the fact that we were, there's a lot of talented people on stage. It just, we were lucky enough to have just some incredibly unpredictable press. Um, that's a big part of it. I'm not saying that that's the reason that we got there, but again, so many contributing factors uh, that led to the show blowing up that it seemed surprising at the time, but looking back, it's like, you know what? That was a domino effect, and all those dominoes were, were falling at the right time, you know, cause and effect. Um, and I, again, I'm just grateful and lucky that I, I got to be a part of it, and, you know, I got to just do my thing. And uh, the New York experience was, was just as, really just as great. And I asked uh, Jordan this when I interviewed Jordan, but yeah. was there a moment 
when you realized just how successful the show was? Yeah, it was the moment that Zach Quinto came and uh, the night, and I went like that, and he went like that, and I was like, yes! You're like, I've made it, I've made it. Made it, done, done. Anything else? <laughs> um, no, it was, I mean, it was really the roar of the crowd at the end of Act One um, on opening, on the fir our first performance that I was able to play. I, people went nuts for the end of Act One, and I was like, there, I have never heard an audience at Rockwell scream like this before. Like, this is really something special. Um, yeah, it was the continued audience response, even before Sarah Michelle Geller showed up to scout, that led me to believe that this was something very, very special. Um, and that response continued through to New York. Um, that wasn't specific to LA. It was energy that sustained itself through our closing uh, in New York. And, uh, you know, it just speaks to the forces that went into creating the show and, you know, allowed it to adapt through all the different means and ways that we've, we've done it. Um, just really good people collaborating on it. That's what you want. Just good, good people. And it's evolved so much since. Yeah. With, I mean, even the uh, 2016 run at Prospect to New York to the tour, which had like the full set tour was great um it was really it, it was the broadway version of the show with the proscenium it, it didn't lose anything going from a smaller venue to a bigger venue i think in fact it made the show bigger it kind of you know cruel intentions is jacobian drama i mean you know it's it's yeah it's death you know you don't happen to the end of cruel intentions it's 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 the stakes are literally life and death it's a tragedy and putting the show in opera houses that are probably too big for too big for the show gave it this kind of tragic grand operatic feel yeah, it, it, that was really fun to witness. Um, it was also the first time I didn't play the show. We, I was doing the other Josh Cullen while the tour was running. Um, I actually had a two week where I would rehearse the show during the day and then go to Josh Cullen at night. I was working like 11 hour days. It was the craziest two weeks of my life. Um, but uh, I put up the show. Uh, uh, Kenneth and Lindsay co-directed the tour production, uh, did a fantastic job. Um, the cast was wonderful, um, knocked it out of the park. Uh, we had three great musicians uh, in the band um, and it sounded incredible. A lot of our sounds were based on what we did for the cast recording. And because it was a three-piece band, not a four-piece band, we tracked in the bass uh, because a lot of tours do three pieces instead of four pieces. We couldn't get the four, which is what I wanted. Um, we tracked in the bass, we piped it in, and the rest of the instruments would be put live to a click track. And uh, despite my initial fears and me waving my arms saying, absolutely not, um, the band was great and they pulled it off. Uh, great music director, Dan Garman, uh, Josh Roberts on drums, David Kawamura on guitar. Um, just really, really great, night after night. And I saw the show three times, the two or three times I saw it in, uh, I saw its preview in Schenectady, New York. I saw it in Chicago and I saw it in Philadelphia and it just got better and better every single time. And uh, the Philly weekend was the last weekend of the show. And it was, I wish it could have gone longer. I wish more people had seen it. It was really, Me really, too. yeah. I hope more people get to see it in the near future. I, I I've heard that there might be a possibility, but. Uh, it'd be great. And you... <laughs> it'd be great. Yes. 
What do you think the biggest way that it's evolved has been besides this full set? Um, you know, I think the biggest way it evolved is, um, is, you know, musically it, it keeps changing. I think uh, the music and the staging of the tour, it had to make a big leap from a small, from small clubs to a big opera house or yeah. big theaters. And so the performance style had to change. Um, the arrangements had to be tweaked to be a bit more arena friendly. Um, there, we actually also piped in double guitar tracks from the cast recording uh, to give it a bigger sound. Oh. So it wasn't just a bass, it was tracks that we had recorded in the cast recording. So at times, even though there's one guitar player playing, there were three guitars playing, or maybe an acoustic guitar while the onstage guy was playing electric. Um, some organ lines that we put through, it just had to be more bombastic. And I think because of that, again, against all odds and against what I thought was going to happen, it was the best the music has ever sounded because we were able to, through pre-record, uh, do so much with it. Yes. I I'm so proud of how far that show was coming. I wasn't even part of it. I was just a crazy audience member that went like 20 times. Honestly, people like you that were the reason why we did well. You, you, you appreciated what we were doing and you, you came back and you supported us and you tweeted about us. And I, I, I'm just really grateful for what you did for that show, you know. Of course. And not to, have, not to uh, give you too much of a challenging question, but I just thought of this and I really want to know. If you could dream cast Cruel Intentions, but you can't pick anyone who's been in the cast so far to be in this dream cast, who would it be? Would you know, it be? that yeah. that would take up a lot of time. <laughs> I've never actually thought of that before. Um, man, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. This uh, might be the trickiest question I've asked besides Greer's the other day where I asked her what her ta favorite Taylor Swift song was. <laughs> you got me. I've been, a, I've been a battle machine this entire time and you got me. <laughs> you. Uh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> me as Sebastian. No. Um, okay. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do Sebastian. I'm not that, I'm not that type. Um, woo! <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> give me throw out some names give me give me some people that, that you know uh just do you mean in like the la theater scene or like fame uh, or like anybody i mean i'm some too which is why i was curious frankly <laughs> okay um but they have to be able to sing that's that's this big i mean yes right. and no like like in your dream world, okay, let's say I they can't Haley Kilgore as Catherine. Oh, okay. She, I saw her in Once on This Island, and I, uh, it was one of the best performance stage performances I've seen. She's the right age for it. Brilliant actor, brilliant singer. I would love to see her do Catherine. Um, Sebastian, let's see. This is tough, man. This is tough. Sebastian, I would cast. I was going to say maybe. I like, I like to think outside the box. I'm trying to think of somebody like unconventional. Um, like a lot of people would be like, well, Aaron Tavay. Like, no, he's too old for that. No, no, no. no. Um, um, like Derek Clinton, maybe. I don't know. I don't know who that is. Uh, Anastasia. 
Oh, no, but he'd be good. He'd be, yeah. He'd be good. Yeah, yeah. Um, who was I? Who was the thing on? Okay, let me think of TV shows that I watch. Okay. Yes. I love Dreamcast questions. They're my favorite. They're my, they're my, I have spat at these questions. Oh my goodness. Um, I love it. Because <laughs> I, um, Let's see. Okay, now I'm starting to think of other parts because now I'm, my brain, like the way it works, is that I go on a track, and then like, okay, yeah. I'm not thinking of Sebastian. Maybe I'll think of Annette. Okay, I'm not thinking of that. Now I'm thinking of Cecile, and now my brain is just going Should in circles. Should I pull up the Jeopardy theme song? Would that help? <laughs> yeah, that would play it on a loop. I'll be back in two hours, man. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, can I give you one more? Can I give you one more? Yes. I'm gonna be here for hours. All right. If how you think about, of any more, you can like just like throw it out. All right. How about yeah? Then the rest of this interview, I'm just gonna throw it out randomly. It's it's gonna yeah. be um, how you about Mrs. Caldwell. Oh. How about um, hey. it's not coming. It's not. Coming. I, I, I stumped you. <laughs> da, da. Wait, it. what's the Jeopardy theme song? Da, 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 da. <laughs> I had a piano, I'd play it, but I actually don't know how to play the Jeopardy. I can figure it out. So. Oh man, I want to give you one. I want to give you one. Um, <laughs> just about been watching. Just about been watching. I need to check. Uh, IMDb. Yeah. It's going great. This is going. Yeah, this is going. going I feel great. like we should throw Michael Thomas Grant into the mix. Uh, Michael Thomas Grant would be a great. I'd cast him as Sebastian. Yeah, I, yeah. He's a great actor. Uh, yeah. He's great on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I, I, he's my Sebastian. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great. Thank you. That's, that's yeah. great. Um, how about you throw me actors and I'll cast them for you. Um, you be the cast oh. director and I'll, and I'll throw oh. well, This might take all day too because I have so many <laughs> actors I could throw out. Oh. I mean, I feel like you could like say like a Glinda for like Annette. Um, oh man, let's see, who's played, who's played Glinda? Um, uh, I don't know, maybe. The only part in the show is interesting where you kind of, should resemble the original actor who played the part. It's the only yeah. part of the show where that where that makes sense. Because I mean, there's a lot of things that are pretty iconic about the show, um, but you know, Annette has a very specific uh, place yeah. that she is from, things that she has been through, things that she is, and it's just got to be that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, this might be weird. Look, this is Caldwell's a young mother. Right? Yes. I like to stretch actors and like to see them do things they might not normally do. How about Amy Adams as Mrs. Caldwell? Okay, I'm down. Yeah. I'm down. She's doing the Dear Evan Hansen movie, so I'm down. She is. Yeah, Julianne Morris, I saw as well. Um, yeah. That's a good one too. Um, yeah. yeah, I like to stretch, to stretch people, do something they, people might not expect to see them as. Because as an actor, that's what I want for me. Um, I, you know, always want to break whatever. Want challenges. In. Yeah, so I want to at least give that, extend that to, you know, other actors if I'm in a position where I can cast people. Um, 
Yeah. Yes. I'd be down. And if you come up with any more, just shout them out. I'll scream, I'll scream them in the middle of Yeah, in the middle of an answer. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So next up is what's on your current theater bucket list? In terms of stuff that and I'm writing or want to see or like what? So, like it could be something you're writing or something yeah. you'd want to be in or. Oh, man. Yeah, I get your question. Um, so, yeah, me and uh, Jordan are in the very, very early, 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 early stages of um, an adaptation of Scream, uh, the film. And um, it, it's, a, I am so excited about this concept. We are, actually we're meeting later today to put together a package um, that we want eventually Kevin Williamson, the original screenwriter to see. And the concept behind what we wanna do is that it is an adaptation of the original film. It's not a spinoff like the TV show. It is Scream 1996, except it focuses on the theater kids instead of the high school at large. So you've got all the theater stereotypes, uh, you've got all of, and they're putting on a production of Sweeney Todd as all the murders are happening. And basically uh, our protagonist, Sidney Prescott, uh, you know, like in the movie, reeling from the death of her mother, um, she is a brilliant actor and her mother was also an actor. And after she was killed, it did a lot of, uh, it made her question whether it's something she wanted to do because she wanted to act or because she wanted to please her parents. Yeah. Um, and the first scene in the film is the Drew Barrymore character getting killed, first murder of the film, and her football player boyfriend. Um, that she is playing Mrs. Lovett. So Sydney Prescott, even though she's left theater, is asked by the drama teacher to take over for Mrs. Lovett opposite her boyfriend, who is Sweeney Todd. So that gives a motive for people to think that she actually did it, I think more so than the original film does. Then the finale of the film takes place at the cast party. The school gets canceled. They're done. There's too many deaths. We've got to do a party. And that's where the climax of the film happens. All the murders happen. The hero gets her comeuppance. Ours, Sweeney Todd gets canceled. So they have the cast party that they never got to have inside the school gymnasium. The auditorium is where the climax of the show happens. So it puts the audience in the middle of the final sequence of Scream, which kind of turns into the end of Sweeney Todd. So even though if they don't get to do Sweeney Todd, they get to live it a little bit. So Ooh. that's how we make it theater. Um, we make it theater centric. We nod to that and we are not to the genre of horror. Uh, that's how it's gonna work for the stage is that we're, we're doing a musical about theater kids. What's yeah. more theater than that? That's, that's, that's how we're translating a work that is a pastiche and a parody of film and to make that work for the stage while maintaining that, uh, that parody sense, the, the, the horror parody. Um, you know, there's a lot of Sweeney Todd, you know, we want to do Phantom of the Opera, Little Shop, oh. great horror musicals um, and nod to those as well, but also be a story about how anybody can be a hero. That's, that's, you know, the great part of the story is that, you know, the, you know, as damaged as you can be and as much trauma as you've been through, you know, you can still rise up and, and you know, save the day and be a hero and get through what you need to get through to help other people and save other people's lives. Um, and that's the, the beauty of, that's the, the ethics of the story. It's the, what makes it a story worth telling now in these times, I think. So it's not just a barrel of fun, it's got, you know, it's got a good message. So it's a project I'm very, very excited about developing and hopefully, uh, you know, if we end up getting this to 
the powers that be, they're as enthusiastic about it as, as we are. Yes. And all original music, which I love. Yeah. I'm so excited. I, I saw all original music and I went, oh, this is going to be good. It's so much fun to write. Um, what I've written so far is very fun just because I'm, draw, I'm able to draw on my love of Sondheim and my love of those shows that I've mentioned uh, that we are going to base it on and also kind of make it rock, you know, cause it, it, yeah. it, it does take place in Northern California in a countryish area. It's got a kind of a, it'll have kind of a folky rocky vibe to it. And I love just bending genres and mashing genres and, and just playing with sounds. And the whole thing is just musically right up my alley. And I'm like, when Jordan told me about the idea and we kind of started to run with it and it became this, I am like, no, yes, I want to write this. I want to write this more than anything else I've ever written. Yeah. 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 Yay. Well, I'm so excited because I was wondering if you could talk about that. And I was like, okay, can I ask about that? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I, I, that's all there is to say about it at this point. I mean, you know, we're just developing, making a pitch, and hopefully, you know. Yeah. People like it as much as we do. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they will. And yeah. then um, if you could revive any Broadway show, what show would it be? Ragtime. Okay, that was quick. Yeah. Yes, Ragtime needs to be done. Um, now, uh, the second we get back, we are experiencing two major crises as a country right now. We are going through a complete upheaval in so many ways. And as Mother sings at the end of the show, we can never go back to before. Yeah. We are learning how to deal with a pandemic as a society. We are also dealing with the largest um, racial justice movement since civil rights in the 1960s. Ragtime is a show about America at an inflection point. And I feel that in 2020, we, for so many reasons, are at an inflection point. And I think that ragtime needs to come back because history, I think, is a cycle. Things, history will repeat itself and it's on us to not forget the lessons of history to make sure that racism and sexism and evil does not triumph. And Ragtime is about that inflection point in 1902 at the turn of the century in America, where you had immigrants and black people fighting for justice and fighting for equal rights. And I don't know if there's a show that is about how we can't go back to our old ways. We have to unapologetically fight for these things. Ragtime, needs to be done the second Broadway comes back and I will be there for it so hard. Yes. I'm literally so passionate about it reviving back time. I've talked I can to see it. I can see it. But yeah. I, I would love that. I would love to get an opportunity to see it on Broadway. Yeah. It'd be amazing. And then um do you have any fun facts or hidden talents that people wouldn't know about yourself? Um yeah. I can eat an entire pizza from Mulberry Street. <laughs> love that i can do it entire pizza love that i can do, I, won't big? Feel, I won't feel good after i do it but uh but you I, can i can hey it works and then uh what's the first thing you're gonna do once quarantine ends well i mean it's interesting because has quarantine really ended kind of because you know we can go to places kind of with masks, yeah. hopefully, <laughs> hopefully people abide by masks and social distance. Um, for me, the end of the pandemic will be when there is a vaccine and we can gather indoors together. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to doing is, is, you know, being 
inside of buildings with other people. Um, when that happens, the first thing I'm going to do, and I want to go back to New York, my goal is to get back there by the beginning of next year, is to just get together a bunch of friends and do a cabaret. Ooh, I'll have to fly to New York for that. Yeah, now everybody, everybody's going to be doing that. That's not going to be just me, but uh, yes. it's, that's, what I, that's the first thing I want to do. The next thing I want to do is uh, do a workshop of In This Body, the musical that I was telling you about. Um, yeah. It's ready to go. And uh, I want it to be seen, and I want people to play it and sing it, and I want people to watch it, and hopefully uh, we'll figure out what to do next from there. Yes. Love that. And speaking of gathering in places again inside, uh, how do you think life theater is going to be different when it is able to eventually come back? Um, I think that when we come back, I think uh, it's really going to be more the audience that, that is going to be a little bit different. Um, I don't think you can do theater. I mean, you can, but I don't think a lot of people want to do it with masks and screens and social leaders. And we've seen examples of it being done and it looks just terrible. Um, you know, that dinner theater in Indiana that tried it and they all got COVID, like, come on, just don't, just don't do it. Just, just be safe. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think you will see on Broadway, the juggernauts come back. I think the long runners will come back. You're going to see Wicked come back, Phantom, Hamilton, uh, the ones that can sustain themselves through this period can come back. Unfortunately, a lot of shows that are new and a lot of plays uh, won't very, very sadly. Um, I think audiences will be uh, distanced. I think there will be mask mandates in theaters. I think you'll see 25% capacity. Um, as we get closer to a vaccine, um, which I think I do think will happen next year. I was watching Rachel Maddow and uh, uh, someone uh, from the Obama Health uh, Organization, uh, Obama's Health Administration, said uh, summer of 2021 would be is a likely target for a safe, effective vaccine. Which, fingers crossed, sounds good, provided it's safe and effective. No one tries to rush it. Uh, at that time, I think you'll see 25% capacity, 50% capacity, 75%. 100% no distance, and I think that's how we're going to do it. It's going to be incremental. It's not going to return to normal all at once. I think public safety will be the first thing on anybody's minds, um, and I think that it will, especially in New York, because I think Cuomo's just done a fantastic job of, of managing the pandemic there. Um, I think it will be done right. I hope it's done right, and uh, I hope that uh, it's done with public safety in mind first, and I think it will be gradual rather than just everybody coming back at once. Yes. Yeah, it has to be gradual in some form, for yeah. sure, for it, to, for it to make sense and for it to work and continue. Yeah. I saw a tweet, I've seen this retweeted many times, where, you know, that first audience when Wicked opens back up, when Glinda descends in the bubble and goes, it's good to see me, isn't it? Oh my god. Literally, we'll that audience. The, the audience will pogo through the roof of the theater, and they will then come back down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. I have to be in one of those audiences. And hopefully you are. Do yes, it. Hopefully I am. And then um, lastly, a little lighter, harder question, light, lighter hearted question. Um, what do you think, since you've had an experience in both, what do you think the main difference is between LA theater and New York theater and what makes each special? Well, um, New York theater is a, a commercial industry. Um, it, it, at its peak, it's a commercial industry. Um, there's more of it, 
and there's more avenues for it because the town is built to have it as part of its tourist industry. And New York theater is built into the heart of the New York economic giant. Um, in LA, that is just not the case. Um, people do theater in LA because it's in the shadow of what actors want to be doing, which is TV and film, which is where all the money is. Um, that being said, it's similar in that both communities are small. Um, That's you know, in LA, you know a lot of people in New York. You know and meet a lot of people. Um, they're both very tight-knit, no matter how big the New York theater community seems. Every, you see everybody at auditions. You see the same people at the shows, in the shows. Same in LA. Um, they are both very tight communities where everybody supports each other mostly. <laughs> um, mostly. Um, and uh, it, the difference really just is in its relationship to the economic inner workings of the city. New York allows, it thrives off of theater. In LA, it exists for the purpose of having that community. Not saying that doesn't exist in New York, um, but uh, in LA it is, it is driven by that communal feel that people need who need theater and need to do it and want to do it, regardless of whether they're trying to do TV or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, yeah. Really, that's really what it is to me. You know, remember after 9-11, after you know, the whole point of the, you know, the, the campaign to get people back to New York was come to New York and see a Broadway show. They didn't say come to New York and shop or come to New York and, you know, have some McDonald's, come to New York and see Broadway. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons New York has taken such a hit is because that's gone now uh, and it will be gone until 2021. Um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's a really important part of the city and it's really important why New York is such a special city um, is that theater is an important part of it. Yes, sure. Theater is just an important part. I just think theater is important in everyone's life, whether they realize it or not. Like, it's something everyone needs in life. Yeah, 100%. And um, LA needs it, I think. Yeah. Um, we need it. And, you know, when it comes back, I'll be over the moon, you know? Uh, it provides opportunities. It provides catharsis. It provides culture. It's, it's everything. You know, LA would be, the artistic scene in LA would be barren, if not for theater. Uh, it would seem just like an impossible wall to climb, you know, if you want to get into, you know, Hollywood, you know, what, you know, people who just come to the city call it, you know, uh, you know, yeah. it provides an outlet for people who want to do that, who don't have the networks to get into TV or anything like that. It's really important. As you, as you said earlier, networking, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meet people. Make good art. Meet people, make art, make love. That's it, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, and on that note... That's where, it. That's the tweet. <laughs> on that note, where can people follow you on social media to keep up with what you're doing and for more inspirational quotes like that? <laughs> for more inspirational quotes like that, go to www.zaxpound.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Zaxpound, on Instagram, at Zaxpound. It's Z-A-C-H-S-P-O-U-N-D. You can friend me on Facebook. I may not necessarily friend you back, but I likely will. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Take, take a chance. <laughs> but anybody can follow me in my in my you know political rage tweets over the last three months. But uh, also for my just weird thoughts on just 
whatever. I, it's weird, man. We love, love that, though. Need a little bit of that. Well, yeah. thank you for joining me on this. No, thank you. This was, this was awesome to talk to you. Thank you. Well, for it was awesome talking to you, though. Yeah. Let's do it again sometime. <clears throat> yeah. It was amazing talking to you and hearing all you had to say about all everything you've done in the theater community. Because, like, there's people who have done acting and there's people who have done, like, directing and there's people who have stuck to one thing, but, like, I guess my final word with respect to that is that, is that as I said earlier, um, I, I, you know, one of the things that happens to you is no matter what you do in art is that people want to put you in a box. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, even if you're just an actor, like, oh, this is the person who plays the nerdy parts. Oh, this is the person who plays the jock. It always happens. And it's not because they have anything against you. It's because it makes it easier for them to do their job to categorize you in their mind. So after Cruel Intentions, I people just wanted to put me in the box of music director in LA. Oh, the guy behind the piano. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to go to New York is because I I, I didn't necessarily just wanted to be the guy behind the piano. I wanted to be the person in front of the piano. Yes. Getting a fresh start in New York allowed me to do that. And and you can be known as for doing both, and it's even more impressive. Yeah. 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 I want to keep doing it all. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like you will, so. Thank you. It's, it's, it's great talking to you. This was, it's this was good talking to you, too. Thanks for watching this episode of Backstage with Becca B. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Becca B Talks TV. Or for more exclusive content from this interview and more, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Backstage with Becca B. Make sure to subscribe to my channel and like this video, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give me a five-star rating. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye!